Kidashta, the personal touch, invite everyone to their two exciting stores, one in the heart of Jerusalem and one in Modeim. Kidashta, the personal touch, is the epitome of elegant style and service. Sterling silver, artistic glassware, jewelry, teletot, mezuzot, and much more. And also features a full boutique wine department specializing in Israeli wines. And, of course, everything is available online at Judaica4u, Judaica, the numeral 4 and the letter U, dot com. Shalom and welcome to all of you lovers of Hashem, His Torah, Israel, and the nations. This is Noahide Nations, and you're listening to Ray Patterson, and of course I've got my wonderful co-host, Mr. Prescott Johnson. Prescott, you with me today? I'm with you, Ray. How are you doing? I am doing just wonderful. In fact, I'm feeling kind of wild and crazy today. And oh. uh, that's that's because of the Olympics. Boy, they they've really got me uh, uh, stoked up. I've been <laughs> I've been watching them for the last couple of weeks, and I've got to tell you, there's some interesting things that have been occurring. You know, one of those things I think I may have mentioned to you before in watching it, and of course, the Olympics this year are being held in Vancouver, British Columbia, which, from the looks of it on TV, is an absolutely beautiful city, and I think Canada in general is just a, a beautiful place. But I got to tell you, I was really unaware of how nice the people in Canada are. Now, of course, I haven't <laughs> met them personally, but <laughs> I, I have met them on TV. <laughs> so. Apparently, apparently, I haven't been doing a very good job then <laughs> representing my country. Uh, actually, those were stage actors hired, um, uh, and they were uh, paid very well to behave nicely in front of the uh, cameras from around the world, and uh, apparently it worked. Maybe we'll see a lot of uh, tourism out of this uh, come summertime. Indeed. Well, I, th- I think you will, because uh, you know the people up there just seem to just very nice and just regular down-to-earth folks, and you know what? That's the kind of place I love to go and visit, so... Uh, my wife and I are definitely going to have to make a trip up there. And as I heard early on that they've had the Olympics in Canada before, but had never won a gold medal on Canadian ground while the Olympics was in that country. And now this year they've got 10. They've got 10 Olympic golds. That's, uh, right now they're leading the pack. So <laughs> it's amazing that you guys have been able to get 10 gold medals. In fact, you guys may wind up leading the way for the number of gold medals that are actually won at the Olympics. So that's that's kind of neat, and, uh, you know, more power to you guys. I think it's a great country. I think you're a great people. I'm, I've enjoyed uh, the heck out of this. So I'm, I'm glad to know that. I'm looking forward to a trip up there. Well, well, that's good to hear because in spite of uh, the fact that I'm here in Canada and I know when I track my uh, Facebook friends, they're always talking about what's going on at the Olympics, and that's, that's about the only exposure that I get to it because I, I'm pretty busy. And about the only thing that I saw, I think when I was visiting with mom and dad, they were watching the uh, the snowboarder guys going down the half pike. Or is it the half pipe? Anyway, it must be a half pipe because it's kind of like a big pipe that's cut in half. So it must right. be a half pipe. Right. And and it was it was pretty uh, pretty neat watching uh, some of the tricks these guys do. And uh, but oh, uh, that that's about that's about the only Olympics that I watched. Yeah, they're they're crazy doing, doing that thing. Oh yeah, I mean, they've, they've yeah. Got, another thing I noticed about the Olympics is compared to the Summer Olympics, uh, these guys doing the Winter Olympics, they do dangerous stuff. 
I mean, oh yeah, <laughs> these these folks can hurt themselves. <laughs> I was told it never <laughs> occurred to me before. <laughs> well, well, they're ca- they're counting on at least for a lot of the sports, they're counting on uh, fluffy snow to sort of you know soften the impact when they land. Uh, <laughs> but certainly, there there was the the tragedy at the beginning uh, yes. of the games yes. with. Uh, uh, the guy who was coming down uh, on the was it the skeleton or anyway? Something I mean, they're like they're that, yeah, There's a riding or something yeah yeah riding on ice. I know that they they had showed that video uh, very early on, and then I think they pulled it. And I I saw it once, and uh, I actually regret that uh, somebody had just told me that there was an accident, and they thought that the guy had died, and that the clip was up. So I took a look at the clip, and I, I was just mortified that they were even showing that. Um, you know, there it's one thing when you watch a movie, and you you know that there are actors that are playing a part, and and uh, you know guns are going off and bombs are exploding, but. Right. Whenever it happens in real life, whenever I see any kind of uh, something that is really true drama or, or or reality TV that is not scripted drama but is really reality TV, uh, it's it's hard uh, sometimes to see some of those things. So, well, we certainly uh, want to send out our deepest condolences to the uh, family members. Uh, yeah, that certainly. was a, a tragedy, and so fortunate that it happened. And also on a on a very serious note, I want to mention that Noah Hyde Nations is uh, looking for your help as far as sending in donations that we are going to use to help families in Israel who are not in a position financially to get the necessary items that they need for Pesach. So we want to, you know, help out in that area. So we're kind of leaning on you folks to to help us out. So uh, we certainly hope that you'll go to the Noahide Nation's website and on the homepage. Be generous and and, and donate uh, so that we can help some of the uh, Jewish families uh, in, in Israel. Also wanted to mention a kind of a neat thing that has been happening over the last couple of weeks due to our last two shows uh, on Kosher Noahide. You've been getting the emails, right, uh, Prescott? Yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. it's been uh, kind of neat. People were really, uh, really seem to enjoy those two shows. So, you know, hats off to, to Russell for doing a, a great job. And uh, one of the questions that really uh, stuck with me that I can't wait to hear the answer to because it is a very intriguing question, and that is whether or not eating an egg is kosher. Because the way the question was presented is that the egg has been removed from the chicken, which is still alive. And and I think I know the answer, but not being an expert, I, I don't want to you know give an answer. It'd be just merely my opinion. But I thought, what a, you know, what a fascinating question that is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, it's never it's never stopped me from uh, speculating an answer, but <laughs> we'll we'll, uh, we'll let Russell handle that, and uh, and hopefully we'll have him uh, do a segment on on that particular issue in the future. Oh, that'd be great. Or maybe you can even write an article or something. We can uh, get posted up on the, the Noahide Nation's website. So, Russell, if you're listening, uh, which I know you are, why don't you put together an article once you get these questions answered and, and put something together so we can post it on the website. Now that we've you know gotten all the th- this kind of uh, business out of the way, uh, just let me remind everyone with regards to the emails that please do continue to send in your questions and comments, and uh, we'll get those questions forwarded to whoever they need to be forwarded to. And you can do that, as usual, at noahide at israelnationalradio.com. 
So let's go ahead and move forward with the show because I'm, I'm kind of glad that we're doing this once again. Uh, Adam and I uh, used to do this a while back when uh, he was a co-host here, and that was to actually interview Noahides. And we have a lady with us today that is a Noahide, and she's just a great lady. I've, I've uh, known her for a while, and I've had numerous conversations with her. And I think you folks will find her uh, kind of interesting, too. So let me go ahead and introduce her to you and bring her on in. Uh, this is Mrs. Diane Long. Diana, how you doing today? Fine, thank you. Glad to be here with you. Well, well it's, it's good to have you on. Absolutely. We're, we're glad to, to have you here, and hopefully we can get even more Noahides, uh, because I know the fun that we had with uh, doing these interviews before, and it'd be nice to you know get back into that again. So we appreciate uh, you being here. Now, uh, let me just you know kind of give a setting to the folks here. Now, you, you're married, you're, and you and your husband live in Michigan, right? Yes. Uh, I, yes, I'm, I'm married. Well, I should say I'm remarried for the second time, and I live in Michigan here, and uh, we've been here all our lives. My husband was born and raised in right on the same street we live on now. Wow, well, that's unusual. Uh, I myself have uh, moved all over the place, so <laughs> it's hard for me someday to remember where, where I was originally uh, born and raised. <laughs> I, and and I was about to uh, say, and and it's interesting because I'm living in the basement of the house that was built when I was born by my parents. And then I thought, well, people are going to have visions of me being one of those guys that lives in his parents' basement, and I didn't want that. <laughs> but, but I outed, but I outed myself anyway. Yeah, too late now. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're toast. <laughs> I, I thought the entertainment value was worth ri the risk, so there it is. <laughs> well, so I guess I'm the odd man out. I mean, I'm the only one who doesn't you are. know where he was born yeah, what, and raised. So. What's wrong with you, Ray? You're moving oh, around all this. You, we don't have you the need time to settle to down. Go, we, don't, we don't have the time to go through what's wrong with me. So, but <laughs> let's let's go ahead and move on. So you say you know you've been there uh, all, all your life. So I'm not going to ask you how long that is because it might give away your. Age and you know we don't want to do that of course, but what I was kind of curious about, and this is you know going to be an interesting question because you have been there so long. Have you met any other Noahides in your area? No, we have absolutely no Noahides in our area, and we have no Jewish people in our area at all. Oh wow! And this is why it's like I'm the black sheep. I don't fit in anywhere. But it was that way when I was younger as well. Uh, my beliefs, didn't, they clashed with the beliefs that my parents had. But we kind, Hashem kind of carried us through everything, and we seemed to get along with neighbors mostly. Sometimes there's little things that come up. And just recently, people started asking uh, questions why we do what we do and stuff, and we explain because we're Noahides, and they have no idea what a Noah Noahides. <laughs> well, now, they don't really need. They don't need to feel alone because there's a lot of Jews who don't know what Noahides are either. <laughs> <laughs> so. Now you've got some uh, noise in the background there. Uh, I mean, I, I, yeah, is that a parrot? Sounds, yeah. Yes, it's parrots. Okay. We have we we have three Quaker parrots. Uh, two are. Uh, I've been taken in uh, abused animals. We do wildlife rescue, but we take it 
exotic animals as well. And if we can't place them, then they stay here with us. Awesome. That when is I, awesome. When I say place them, put them in a good home. So the numbers keep growing here because of hard times. Michigan is, uh, oh, we're number one on no jobs right now. Wow. And people are losing their homes. And they're desperate. And they're they they're giving up their animals and there's no place for them to go and they end up coming here can we can place them in another home or they end up staying here wow so how many animals do you have there oh if you want to count the raccoons and (laughs) possums that that we 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 have presently probably well over 20 plus the livestock of chickens that's 32 there oh my goodness and then the parrots in the house, and and we have one stray cat that moved in. Uh, he disappeared. He's been gone for a week, but he'll probably be back soon, too. When they get hungry. Well, it, it sounds like you are a true daughter of Noah. <laughs> Thank you. That's what some of the people around here are starting to say. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're waiting for you to start building an ark. <laughs> Well, and speaking of the uh, uh, lack of Jewish people up there, I mean, one of my questions was going to be if you have any synagogues up there, which apparently you do not. So it's probably you know kind of difficult for you to uh, really get any local, uh, if any, local Torah teaching. No, we have no local Torah teaching at all. It would take an hour and a half drive to reach a synagogue. Oh, boy. And the only... Real Torah teaching we can't is virtually over the internet. I self-taught since '92, when I just started reading the Torah and looking at that and comparing it to what the people call the New Testament. And I said, "Man, this is what I believe in for all these years." And they, everyone tells me this has been done away of. They're wrong because it says right here in the Torah. These laws are for forever, for generation after generation. So uh, finally, when I started teaching myself Hebrew to be able to interpret things properly, I was in deep in prayer because I knew no one that spoke Hebrew. And uh, in a dream, I was told to get on the Internet and find it. And I did. And that's how I located the rabbis that I teach every day with now, and that's how I located Noahide Nations. Well, wow. we're, we're glad that you did. It's always been uh, fascinating to me how many definitions of the word eternal actually exist, depending on what religion you go to, because it does say in the Torah that these commandments are eternal, which, as far as I understand, means long time, means forever. <laughs> now, have you always been a religious person, Diane? Yes, I have. At the age of three, I announced to my parents that I know God has a mission for me. And at that young age, they just laughed it off. But I was raised a Catholic, so I thought I was going to be a nun. However, my parents kept telling me I was too stupid, not being disrespectful to my parents now. They said... They only wanted smart people, so I would never be able to do that. But the negative things that were said to me never stopped me. I just continued searching. And yes, I was forced to go to church, and yes, I followed their ways. But 
I got in trouble with the church and my parents because I wanted to read the Bible. But I didn't want to read the New Testament. I wanted, as a young child, to study Old Testament. Because to me, it was like I knew the laws were set there. And so I was the black sheep of the family because that's what I did. I preferred studying the Old Testament and trying to do what they said in there. I hear I hear a lot of that from uh, Noahides who were formerly raised Catholic. I shouldn't say formerly. They indeed were raised Catholic, but they're now former Catholics. And I, I hear a lot of that type of statement that uh, you're either not too smart or you're not a theologian, so therefore you can't possibly understand uh, the, the Catholic Bible, so don't even try to open it and read it, which, of course, is the last thing that you should do because in order to know your Creator— the best source is in the Torah. <laughs> I mean, as far as I know, it's really the only source to really come to know who your creator is and uh, what, what we mean to him and what our destinies are here on his creation. Well, the worst part of it was when I refused to celebrate Christmas and Easter <laughs> and all these holidays. That's when then my parents and my brothers and sisters, basically, they all including my son and my grandchildren, they all basically disowned me completely. Oh. And um, I wanted, when my grandson wanted me to tell him why I didn't celebrate these, when I started to tell him I celebrate only the feast days of the Lord, my son cut me off and said, I'm not to tell him. Yeah. And so we have virtually no contact. Over the past year, though, I've had my older brother is starting to finally listen. He's a devout Catholic, but at least he's listening. And we started to talk, and I was able to go over and visit him. And so that was really nice. But we're talking years upon years of no contact with no family whatsoever. Yeah, that, and that's that's very hard to live with, uh, you know, because uh, there's there's nothing. Uh, and, and, and I guess you understand sometimes why that is because when I remember when I was a, a Christian and you'd see somebody leave the church, you would view their actions in, in a very particular way based on, on where you were standing at that time inside of the church door, uh, looking out. But when you wander outside the church door and you have other people looking out at you, it's not easy, but, uh, you know that's that's sometimes the the price that one has to pay it's one thing when you're when you've walked away because you've become you weren't happy with something that took place in your life while you were in the church it's another when you go searching for the truth and that truth takes you outside the church and that's a judgment on everybody around you because you're basically saying you guys don't have it you guys don't have what i'm searching for and that is very hard for many Christians to hear. Well, and the other, the other difficult thing with this is that this seems to be a common thread amongst all Noahides, is when they make those, I mean, very hard, very difficult decisions, such as giving up Christmas, giving up Santa Claus, giving up Easter, uh, giving up these other 
religious holidays, we do tend to get disowned. If not yeah. for the, you know the rest of our, our lives, we do certainly early on until people can kind of get a handle on what's happening. But it is not uh, an easy ride. I mean, it is a, a difficult thing to do, not only in making the decision, but in also letting your friends and family know because they do have a tendency to want to disown you, to get, get you at arm's length so they don't have to deal with you. The big thing for me was I was tired of the lies. I was tired of false beliefs. And then when I was searching for the truth, I found that the lies were everywhere. I mean, it was just no place you could go for somebody that was honest, uh, someone with integrity. And when someone asked me what was I looking for in a husband, I says, a man of integrity. That's it. And uh, they said I was asking for too much. And <laughs> I couldn't take, I just couldn't take what was going on between the family and stuff. I, I ran away because I didn't fit in. And I joined the military. I joined the Air Force. I figured at least there's, I'd know where I stand there. That's going to be truthful. Well, that's what I thought. And I just had to leave everything. Totally. And that was my excuse then for not having to attend these Christmas functions and Easter functions. I wasn't home because I was overseas. Or I was way off in another state. And it was easier for me to live. But yet, Hashem led me there for a reason. Um, I was in a medical career field, and I did learn a lot. I learned an awful lot, and it gave me the time to study the Torah even more, but we had, again, in the military, no rabbis, and all the chaplains from all these religions worked their stuff the same way all Christianity does. I, I really didn't find peace there, but I found more peace than I did trying to get along with my family. Well, and I know with the military, and by the way, you know, thank you for your service uh, uh, to your to your country. I always like to uh, thank people who are willing to put their thank lives you. on the line for others, and that's certainly what anyone who goes into the military is is willing to do. But I do remember uh, I used to teach a, a Torah class on Fort Hood. Uh, which is probably the largest uh, military installation on the planet. It's, a, it's an army base, U.S. Army. And uh, I did this at the request of a rabbi, believe it or not, who was actually a chaplain in the uh, military. He was a, a captain at the time. Uh, he may, I'm sure he's probably been promoted since then. But I and he had many lengthy discussions on that very thing, that there aren't any rabbis. And he was like uh, the one of maybe two in the entire army uh, in the entire chaplain's program there were two rabbis and it's just shocking to me that that is actually allowed to continue on because i'm sure there's others who've tried to get in that just they're basically not allowed in or they're, they're just shunned so i can certainly sympathize with uh, the plight that you found yourself in I think we're heading towards the bottom of the hour here. <laughs> you are exactly right. And uh, if I don't get us out of here, we're going to get in big trouble. So let's go ahead and, and jump on out of here and take this break. And folks, please stick around with us. We'll catch you on the other side.
you love Israel and you're coming to the Holy Land, you need Israel's best tour guide. See Israel like you've never seen it before. Mayor Eisenman will take you around the country for an educational and fun experience. Each tourist gets a personally designed tour. The land of the Bible, the land of the Tanakh, comes alive in the hands of an energetic and experienced tour guide. Visit IsraelByMayor.com. That's IsraelByMayor, M-E-I-R, or email him directly at IsraelByMayor at gmail.com. This is Tamar Yona of Israel National Radio. Thank you to all of our loyal listeners for your generous support during our Shevathon fundraiser. Our 12-hour live televised program brought together all of our show hosts and our listeners and was as fun for us as it was for you. You can continue throughout the year to show your support by clicking on the Support Us banner on the top of IsraelNationalRadio.com. Thank you again from Arut Sheva, Israel National Radio. Well, welcome back, everybody. We definitely appreciate you sticking around for the second half of the Noahide Nation show. If you're all kind of hearing the the noise in the background there, that is uh, one of the parrots that Diane has rescued. Diane, what is the uh, uh, name of the the parrot you got there? This one here is Sydney. I have Sydney Blue and Kiwi, three of them. Sydney uh, is, is, a, is a great name for a bird. He, he answered, three he great knows names. his name. Does he know his name? Yes, he knows his name. So the more you say his name, the more he'll probably respond. Correct. Okay. Well, just... So, so, so if you need to mention oh. Sydney... <laughs> you just left. Okay, we get that now. Uh, well, we just wanted to welcome Sydney aboard. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, there was one other thing that I wanted to, to mention and really offer a, a, a congratulations, a pat on the back. I don't know what you want to call this, but it once again has to do with the Olympics. I don't know. I'm a, like Olympic crazy here. Um, it was so funny because I was sitting uh, with my wife, we were watching uh, some of the events, and I looked over at her and I said, my gosh, you know, I, wa- I really wonder if Israel is in any of these events at all. And somehow my wife had convinced me to sit down and watch the ice dancing with her. And just as I had finished saying that to her, lo and behold, two skaters come up, skating onto the ice, one male, one female, and I noticed that the male, the, ma- the man has a keeper on. And I said, oh, my Get gosh, out. look at that. <laughs> and then the announcer comes on and, and mentions their names. So I'm going to go ahead and mention their names here, too. Alexandra and Roman uh, Zaretsky. And, you know, I want to congratulate them for even making the Olympics and being able to uh, do such a, a wondrous thing. But it was so funny because the announcer starts mentioning their name and where they're from and that they're going to be uh, doing a song that's a famous Jewish song called Hava Nagila. I said, oh, my gosh, <laughs> this is incredible. Right after I'd asked the question, here we have, it was almost like Hashem saying, well, hold on one second, Ray, let me get to that, and outskated <laughs> to two folks from Israel. I, that was just an amazing thing for me. So, you know, congratulations to those two for participating in the Olympics. So I, I just thought that was very cool, along with the Canadians being cool. 
Anyway, let's move right along here. I didn't mean to digress that way, but it's just something that, that caught my heart and I had to say something. But, Diane, let me ask you this to kind of you know, get us back on track here. Uh, you mentioned that you started studying the Torah in 1992. And I'm, I'm wondering, was that the same year that you became a Noahide or, or knew that you were a Noahide? Or was it sometime after that that you, you uh, understood that, oh, well, my, my gosh, I'm, a, I'm actually a Noahide? Well, I actually didn't dis- know I was a Noahide until about a year and a half ago. Um, when I came to the No Hide Nations website and seen that it was, that's what was me. But at the same time, I was attending classes at the virtual yeshiva with Rabbi Elirah, and he mentioned Noah Hide a couple of times. And that's what made me run the search, oh. Google it, to see what, what a Noah Hide was, because I didn't realize that's what I was, is a Noah Hide. Because mm-hmm. I had no idea that's what I was. I figured I was just that black sheep hanging around. <laughs> well, and there are a lot of us just hanging around. But we're certainly glad you were able to find the uh, you know the Noahide Nations website. And I know that you're pretty involved with this right now. I mean, you moderate a number of the Torah classes and the Arab Shabbat service and the Noahide service on Saturday. So you know, we appreciate all the help that you've been to us uh, as, as far as being a moderator and being part of the community. I'm, I'm kind of curious, too, what was, I mean, was there a single thing that caused you to realize that you were a Noahide in your heart? I mean, at some point you had to feel that you were not a Christian, you knew you weren't a Jew. What was the one thing that had occurred that made you realize that you were different? The one thing that occurred was when I was reading the Torah and how it was expressed. Hashem said that these laws and statutes were for eternally and I knew I didn't belong to Christians then because they many of them are doing what man says what God said but I just didn't know what I was I figured I was put in the wrong family for some reason that I was born to the wrong family for some reason and I had to learn and search for what my mission was and I, I knew way back as a young child in this wasn't me. It was, I didn't like how people treated animals. I didn't like, I just couldn't handle lies. I was fed up with it. At least tell me the truth and I can deal with the truth. And then I, I seen it even in public schooling, how these lies are reinforced and taught. I, I just couldn't get away from the lies. And the only way I could was going back to the Torah. And that, that's, the Torah was the only thing that gave me comfort being able to pray to Hashem by myself, and I found my comfort in that. What I find interesting in your story is that it's only been recently that the name Noahide really uh, had any significant meaning, but for years you spent looking at the Torah. Many people would, I suppose, ask the question, did you consider converting to Judaism at some point? Yes, I did, and we're still looking at that very deeply as well because I needed to find my roots, and through extensive uh, genetic DNA testing, it was revealed to me and through a family member that I was Jewish, and except 
it goes back to we weren't allowed to discuss the ghetto in Poland, and that's where my great-grandmother came from. And when I look at all through history of what happened when I was a child, I remember finding a beautiful candle holder in my great-grandmother's attic, and I wanted to bring it down and use it. It was the memora, but I was told it was a candle abra, and that was never to be used. Wow. <laughs> and they spoke Yiddish, but they always told us it was Polish, and um, anything that came up that was important... They would speak it all in Yiddish, so we did not understand what was going on. So, yes, we've, we've considered conversion uh, that still might be for us. Right now, I'm, I'm studying the best I can and praying for direction from Hashem on what she wants me to do. My husband did extensive DNA testing as well. He come up J2 as his wife. And the J2 is a direct descendant of Karen. And I couldn't ever believe I found a husband that went along with me about not celebrating the Christmas and the holidays and believed like I did. And it was fantastic. He believed in keeping the Sabbath. And most people still think the Sabbath is on a Sunday. When I explained to them it's sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, we had friends actually have nothing to do with us ever hmm. um well i consider they weren't friends but for me to in, in my I, I'm an old lady for a man to i just gave up after my divorce and said hashem if you want me to marry it's in your hands I, I, i'm not going to look for this and lo and behold I met my, my husband three days later three months later we were married and he believed he was praying the same thing that night i did and uh, he, he just threw it up into Hashem's hands, and if we were to, he was to have a wife, he just provided a wife. And I, I just can't believe I found someone that doesn't want to go out and party on Friday and Saturday. That it, it's it's a holy day of obligation to us, Hashem's day, and and we're to study Him and we're to sing praises and give thanks for the day of rest. Yeah. Wow. Oh, Baruch Hashem. Yeah. It, it, and it's kind of interesting, uh, and, and of course, my little anecdote here isn't, I think, as fascinating, but when my journey began out of the church, I ended up getting to know the grandmother of a friend of mine, and she said the only other person that she ever knew who was named Prescott uh, was when she was uh, uh, growing up out in the country, and there was this neighbor, his name was Prescott, and he wouldn't work on Saturday and when everybody else was on their way to church on Sunday morning, that's when he was out doing his chores. And she had no idea if he was Jewish, if he was religious, if she had no idea anything about him, just that she knew he wouldn't work on Saturday, and but didn't go to church and, and would uh, actually be out working when everybody else was on their way to church, was vi which would have been very odd in that community, so... So I thought, oh, okay, well, maybe there's, <laughs> you know, you hear those things and you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, that's kind of an odd, that's kind of an odd coincidence because Prescott isn't a very common name. So, but uh, anyway, that's all. That's the only, that's the end of the story. Okay. It wasn't that dramatic, Ray. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that, that's interesting because we found, the only way we found peace is to live out in the country 
yeah. I can't handle the city life of what because it's not a Jewish community or a Noahide community. Right. I don't like what I see on a daily basis out here in the country. All I have is me sitting out here in the middle of my fields in the forest is Hashem, and so we can correspond continually that he's showing me things on a daily basis. Yes, we get confronted with Gentiles and what they do, but we're, I, it's not right there in front of my face all the time, and it's a lot easier to live out in the country. Well, you uh, had mentioned that to me early on in uh, our relationship, Diane, that uh, you folks have a bit of farmland in uh, uh, Michigan, and you use it quite admirably, I, I might say, uh, because there's just the two of you. And uh, Well, why don't, why don't you tell us about the farmland, what you're doing with the land and why you're doing it? We have uh, only five acres, and we decided we had to turn it back over to Hashem. And so we, the first fruits we don't keep for ourselves. We give it, since there's no temple, we can't give it to the priests. So our first fruits... The pick of everything goes to the one that's most needy, that lives closest to us. And from then on, everything else is distributed to people who are in need. And uh, when we have anything left over, I dehydrate and then I put them in glass canning jars to use during hard times. Or when someone shows up, we, we never know who shows up to the door. Um, but whoever shows up and they need food, it's passed out to them. Replant year after year, and then we pass it to those who are in need. I only wish we could be given to the Jewish people and to the Noahides, but there's no one near me to give that way. Well, you're doing exactly what Hashem wants for you to do. So uh, let's face it, a mitzvot is a mitzvot. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, for me, you mentioned you only have five acres. Well, that's about four and three-quarter acres more than what I have. And uh, <laughs> I've got uh, uh, a couple, you know, small little gardens. I, you know, I'm thinking they're maybe uh, 20 feet long by, you know, 10, 12 feet wide. And, uh, you know, we grow uh, uh, some food. And then we just got started with it last year. So we're kind of uh, beginners at this. I mean, we're city folks. And uh, we prefer the outdoors and the kind of the country life ourselves. But you were so kind to send us uh, just an enormous uh, amount of seeds. And I think it's a phenomenal thing that you do because uh, certainly in the end times, uh, you know, everyone's talking about, oh, it's the economy is so bad, you need to buy gold, you need to buy gold. Well, I'm sitting here thinking, wait a minute, the only thing that's going to be worth gold is going to be seeds and the ability to grow those seeds into food. And I so appreciate you sending those to us. You even sent me a couple, uh, uh, you know, a few little trees that, uh, of course, I talk to now and I water them and uh, they're growing <laughs> nicely. And I, you know, I can't wait for them to bear fruit, though I know it's going to take a little while for that to happen. But, you know, that's a, a fascinating thing that you do, too, is that you harvest your own seeds for use later on, either by yourself or for others. Yes, we all even uh, raise our own honeybees. Uh, and this is what has been a miracle that Hashem has given us. The honeybee population here in Michigan has been depleted almost completely uh, because of they have no idea why the honeybees are dis they're just plain disappearing. And I was praying one night and I was led to 
get honeybees. And I got honeybees. Now we got honeybees for hives. And what's neat about the honey is it's also antibiotic and it can be used uh, for medicine as well as for sweetening uh, your tea or or even using it for baking and stuff. And we have special signs posted along that's been issued by the county because uh, they spray for mosquitoes. Right. That way, no, our property is completely organic. And so now we have honeybees, and we're having no problems like everyone else is having with them. They're just, they're just, <laughs> they just keep getting more and more each year. Boy, I wish I could get some of those down uh, here, but. Uh, I don't think the homeowners association would uh, care much for me raising honeybees in the backyard. <laughs> I don't think my wife would care much for it either. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my mom uh, raised uh, bees for many years, and uh, so uh, yeah, they're they uh, our hives weren't that far from the house, and they never bothered anybody. Well, my husband was very skeptical about it. He's definitely scared of bee stings. And so we we bought him the heavy suit and everything. Now we've had bees for five years, and we still have not had a single sting. And I now will go out to them when just the way I am. No, uh, oh, I I have the fu- the funny little hat with the <laughs> yeah, netting yeah. over it, but I never even wear it. Um, they land on you, but it's like they I talk to them like I do the animals, mm-hmm. and it's like they know who you are. And I have no problem. And when my husband went by with uh, one of his vehicles one time, there was a big swarm, and he panicked, and he stopped. They landed on him, and they left. And not a sting. And he was really shocked, but they're very docile. And they seem to know they got a nice home. We actually put their hives inside a shed so they don't, freeze during the winter time because we get 26 below zero several times during the winter mm. up here oh, and, lovely. Uh, <laughs> so we keep them in the shed and leave the shed door open and so it looks like a like a miniature little freeway you sit there with a video camera <laughs> these bees coming and going the traffic is so heavy and if you step right in the center of where they're going they stop and go around you <laughs> They don't hit you at all. Hmm. That is uh, amazing because I've heard, I've, I've heard a lot of the same thing about uh, the honeybees. That for, for some reason scientists are trying to figure out why, uh, but there seems to be less and less and less honeybees are, around. And uh, of course, the honeybees are what pollinates all the the that grows, that produces fruit and uh, produces vegetables. I mean, without that cross-pollination, you, you don't get anything to harvest. Is, is that right? That is correct. Uh, I, was, uh, st- I started hand pollinization because of the few that we had left. And now that we got the bees, my crops have been so prolific. We've never had so, such a bounty to give away where we have leftover food that was always totally eaten. Now I have plenty of seed. I have plenty of food. And all it is is because the honeybees are here. Mm-hmm. And yes, there are bumblebees and there's our, our other things that do pollinate the um, 
fruits and vegetables, but the honeybee far exceeds what any anything else can do. Yep. Well, I understand that the honeybees are definitely the workhorses uh, in in this area. I'm kind of uh, curious, uh, Diane. You'd mentioned that you were in the, the military and the Air Force, and I'm assuming, of course, that you're a retired Air Force. But uh, at any point during your military career, did you learn how to how to do these things as a like a survival course, or I mean, how did you learn how to you know harvest seeds and uh, you know deal with the honeybees? I mean, where did you get all of this? Well, first of all, I'm not retired Air Force. I only oh, you're spent not. 17 years. No, I spent 17 years in the Air Force, and I was having problems with the way I uh, I didn't, the lies that was being told to us in the Air Force. So I cried out to Hashem on what to do. I could no longer serve, and he blessed me with a brain tumor, and I was put out honorably discharged with a brain tumor. I had to have 18 years in to do to get a medical retirement so i'm just honorably discharged after 17 years and a hundred percent disabled vet so I, I wanted to make that clear i didn't really retire but i got an id card where because of the number of years i put in and being a hundred percent disabled i'm allowed to go on to all these other go on to military bases and use their facilities um, how I learned most of this is when overseas, when I'd get stationed someplace, I'd like to get away from the base and go down and learn from the actual people that, the villagers that in these other countries. And I looked at how little they lived on and how they lived, and I figured that was the way to live, you know, and People don't understand the simpler way you live brings you closer to God. And they don't realize that all the stuff we have basically is luxury. And you can be happy without a whole bunch of stuff, materialistic things. Yeah, yeah. And you don't know how so, true you don't know how true that is. Uh, uh, the sages teach, uh, you know, when, you, when we ask the question, why were uh, the Jewish people, you know, farmers and ranchers and uh, shepherds, and uh, that was because Hashem wanted them to spend their time dwelling on Him, rather than on the mundane that goes on in uh, like our daily lives uh, right now. And being a, a, a farmer or a, a rancher, uh, they were able to spend more time uh, dwelling on, on Hashem rather than dwelling on the mundane. So that's, uh, that's kind of cool. I think your statement is, is right on. I think it's very true. In fact, uh, what's also very true is that we have run out of time. <laughs> and I so apologize for this because I have so many more questions I'd like to ask you. And you know, certainly maybe uh, we can you know, have you back at a later time to you know, kind of uh, uh, get some more questions answered. But in the meantime, uh, Diana, let me thank you for taking the time to, to share with us today. Well, thank you for allowing me to be here with you. Thank you, Ray. And thank you, Prescott. Uh, you're welcome, Diane. And Sydney, thank you for being on board for the show. <laughs> so, folks, hey, we appreciate you sticking around for the uh, uh, the entirety of the show. Uh, we certainly hope you're back with us next week. And in the meantime, my friends, always, always, always look to the heavens for your help from Hashem, because I guarantee... 
He's always looking out for you. Prescott Shavuotov, see you next week. Shalom. Herbie's Bake Shop in Betel, Israel, now offers you the opportunity to feed your favorite Israel National Radio Show hosts. Donate a pizza to the radio station or send a coffee break with hamantaschen or donuts. Just fill out the form online at www.herbiesbakeshop.com. The Arut Sheva Step Gets Hungry While Podcasting. Show your support. Visit herbiesbakeshop.com. That's Herbie with a Y. Bakeshop.com. They'll love you for it. Get your very own copy of the New York Times from May 15, 1948, declaring the State of Israel's independence. A full-size reprint of the entire newspaper covering Israel's reestablishment. Own a piece of history. Click on IsraelCelebrates60.com. Over 25,000 copies have been distributed. That's IsraelCelebrates, the number 60.com. 